Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program designed to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, and off your mind critical thinking and adventure. Now, this is our Midweek Liberty program, and we're looking with playing with our format a little bit, so bear with us in this transitional moment. But nonetheless, today, we are going to be talking about a, a turtle, which was, well, it was a snapping turtle, which was fed a puppy, and all the moral issues which are involved around that conversation. Then, in our second segment, we're going to come back to talk about the importance of the Ten Commandments and the role they serve in saving our culture. We're going to be looking particularly at the first three commandments and really reimagining how these are important in our lives. And with that being said, please do check out the rest of the videos we have online. Again, we're going to be separating our videos out here in the future from our podcast. We have a new Joy of Synthesizing video, which is out there. Again, that's a little bit of fun. It's somewhat of a Bob Ross parody. Check us out on YouTube at Kingdom of the Logos. Well, anyways, let's get right on to our A segment. Thanks for joining us here in Cord Purgatory. I'm Jay Dylan Proctor. And here recently there was an incident where a teacher in a junior high school fed a live puppy to a snapping turtle in a science class. I want us to talk about this because this is an area where there's a moral gray area. People can say, well, people eat hamburgers, animals eat each other in nature. And people exploit this moral gray area to really say there is no morality at all. In other words, there is no checks and balances on how we do things. And not just an issue of checks and balances, but there's no reason why something would be appropriate or inappropriate within the classroom. So I want us to talk about this, and this took place in Idaho, and it's worth pointing out that there are the local officials there in in Idaho, the wildlife officials, they took the turtle into custody and they actually euthanized the turtle. It was a snapping turtle, one that is not indigenous to that area, it's an invasive species, but that's a whole other issue. We're not going to talk about the euthanizing of the turtle. Um, We're just going to talk about the puppy being fed to to the turtle in the classroom. All right, so again, this took place in Preston, Idaho, and it was a junior science class where this happened. And there's been a lot of different people who have had different sides of this topic. Uh, One particular parent told the citizen, my kids were very upset about the way he is being portrayed in the news. And again, this was a parent talking about the, the teacher. And again, the parent goes on to say, I'm outraged at people making the comments they have about him. He spent his whole life showing kids how to care and feed animals. And another student from the area, the Preston, Idaho area, was talking to East Idaho News and made the statement, he's a cool teacher who really brought science to life. I love his class because he had turtles and snakes and other cool things. And we hear a lot of firsthand language used to describe the teacher, again, people who actually knew him, and then you hear sort of secondhand language used to describe this incident as well. One of the things that really bothers me is there's a lot of people who, again, are second and third hand who are trying to attribute something to the motive of the teacher. I have not interviewed the teacher personally, and I haven't seen anyone interview the teacher personally. So I'm not going to to throw away the virtue of the due process and attribute any sort of motive to the the teacher. Um, He may have been thinking that it was appropriate to do this or not. I'm not going to go and make a ruling on the teacher. I'm just going to be talking about the actual act of feeding a puppy to a snapping turtle and the issues that, that happen there. There have been some animal rights activists which have been upset with this, and I don't necessarily agree with some of the arguments that they've been making. Um, I know there was one who had actually filed a complaint about this, tried to have charges pressed and and things of that nature. I don't know that that's necessarily the most appropriate thing. Um, Of course, there's been people who have been upset that the turtle was euthanized. Again, we're not going to talk about that, but let's just talk about the the idea of feeding a living puppy to a snapping turtle. Why is this different from people eating a hamburger? How is this different from feeding mice to a snake or something like that. Again, this is an incident where there really is a moral gray area and people are trying to to capitalize on this moral gray area to say there's no morality at all. We see this all the time in our society. They say, well, 
it's it's not necessarily a bad thing that these things happen. It's not necessarily a good thing that a certain thing happens. And so they say, well, we can't always tell if things are good or bad. So there is no good and bad. That's really a, a inappropriate response to to incidents like this in society. I do think this is different than feeding a snake a mouse. And I would go as far to say it is it is immoral to feed a, a living puppy to a snapping turtle and to do it especially in a junior high setting. And the reason why I say this, and I would not necessarily say this if it was a mouse and a snake or if it was a, a guinea pig and a turtle. And, and I recognize that turtles really are a form of an apex predator. They're towards the top of the food chain. And a lot of people are making the argument, well, it's just a, a teacher showing kids nature, right? Mm. Not so much. I do think this is, again, different from a snake eating a mouse because dogs actually have a purpose. And this is where the moral gray area, I think people recognize this, that dogs have a, a purpose. And whether you're a dog person or not, unmistakably, people have domesticated dogs. For a long time, we've been living with dogs. Canis lupus familiaris is a particular animal. It's not just a random thing that exists in the world, but in fact... It is something that basically exists as the friends of people or the co-workers of people. Dogs, in essence, they are our friends and our co-workers, along with cats. I'm not going to say cats are necessarily our co-workers, but cats and dogs have a unique place in society as the fact that they are domesticated and they, they live with us as our friends. And other animals, which are also domesticated, don't necessarily do this. Take, for instance, cattle and and even other domesticated farm animals, you may even talk about hogs or pigs. And yes, I know there are the one-off cases where somebody's got like a, a, a horse that comes in their house and they, they live with it. But by and large, if we look at the, the service animals in the world, and I know there are always exceptions to this. People try to, to make out their parakeet to be a service animal or something. But dogs, they, they do a lot for us. There's you know police dogs. You have dogs that serve in the military. Dogs do a lot of very service-oriented things. They work with us. And then also, we also find that they're our pets. They're our friends. And if we look at human history, we can see that we have domesticated dogs for a very specific purpose. They are our friends and our co-workers. They are really a unique species on this planet with a very specific purpose. That being said, when you feed a, a living puppy, an infant of our friend slash co-worker species, to a snapping turtle, you are basic, I mean, that's what you're doing. You're feeding a, an infant of our friend slash co-worker to, to a snapping turtle. And that is different than it just happening in nature. Because again, that most of the kids, they know people have dogs. A lot of them have puppies. When people see dogs, we react a bit differently to dogs than we do to other animals. If we go outside and somebody sees a, a wild skunk, tearing around in your yard, you're not likely to go out there and try to pick it up and hug it. Though if you've seen somebody put a, a puppy outside with a ribbon on, you're much more likely to go out there and interact with it. It's just the nature of the game. So it is different because dogs do have a purpose. They have an existential state in our world. They're not just a random thing. And that's why I really see this as being a problem, is so many people, they've been like, it happens in nature, therefore we should have kids watch it. And I'm, I'm not saying that we, we shelter kids unnecessarily, but just because things happen in nature doesn't mean it's appropriate to show in a classroom. I mean, we can teach people about violent crime and we can learn about violent crime without personally experiencing violent crime. We can teach people about you know terrible things that happen, terrible family tra tragedies, medical tragedies, without just thrusting that in front of children. There's a lot more ways to learn about stuff than to just go to the logical extreme of, of making those things happen right before your eyes. Anthony? Uh, one thing that I think is, you know, all right, I'm not really concerned about the harshness of what the children might have seen because if it was any other animal, it wouldn't really matter, especially, I mean, dogs do have a purpose. 
But children understand this especially well also, which is probably why it would be upsetting for a child to watch an animal kill a puppy. Yeah. It's because they know that that's an innocent creature that we have basically uh, bred for a purpose. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they know that. And everything about, like, the abstract platonic form of a dog suggests that we're supposed to be its friend, we're supposed to protect it, yeah. and all that stuff. And then, you know, feeding the puppy to whatever animal is instantaneously going to break all that down. Yeah, you know? it, it does break it down. that's a whole lot of moral architecture for them. Yeah, it does. It challenges the fact that we treat our friends and coworkers with with a bit of reverence. We have a decency for the people in our lives. Again, tragedies befall people, but we don't go out and create tragedies and say, well, it's part of nature. Bad things happen. Um, we, do, we just don't do that. It's an inappropriate thing to do. And again, I really think this boils down to dogs have an existential purpose. And also, because there is moral gray area, there is the argument to be made that this happens in nature. Again, moral gray area. But at the same time, as we start examining things, asking the question, well, what purpose do dogs have? Just because there is a little bit of moral gray area doesn't mean we throw out all morality, which is what a lot of people really want to do. So, so I come down on this situation as saying, yes, it is bad to, to feed the dog to a, a snapping turtle, and not just because I like dogs. And snapping turtles are neat. Um, they're, they're really mean. They're actually quite tough animals, but that's a whole other issue. For the second half of our podcast, I want us to talk about saving our culture and the Ten Commandments. Particularly, we're going to be examining the first three commandments. Now, many people, even people who are atheist or agnostic, can understand the great value of the last seven commandments, but they have this mentality that only those who believe in God have any connection to those first three. However, I really want us to challenge that, because these first three commandments are so important to building a strong moral architecture in the world around us. Many of the secular people in our world have this mentality that if we start with children and instead of teaching them about God, we teach them about nothing, then by the time they're adults, they'll be able to decide for themselves with a completely open slate. However, this has not really been the case. People have this natural tendency to treat certain things as transcendent. And when you do not provide people an understanding of God to place God in the role of the transcendent thing in life, they will go out and they will find other things to be transcendent, such as the government or perhaps even celebrities. People are really hardwired to to have something in the world that they model as transcendent. And when you don't give people something transcendent to fit into that slot of being transcendent, they'll put something else there, which logically ends up being the government. It's very predictable that this would happen. Of course, when we're using the language transcendent, we're meaning something which is sort of all-powerful. It can encompass all things. It's the arbiter of morality. But it's also something which is infallible in the fact that it's free of of the the limitations of humanity. It's, It's free of corruption. Now, obviously, government is not free of corruption, which brings us back to our first three commandments. Now, I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version out of Exodus 20. But these first three commandments, in a short sense, are the first one being, I'm the Lord your God, you will have no other gods before me. Then also there's the idea of the second commandment, which is, you will not make a graven image. You will not be doing that. The third commandment is the idea that you will not take the Lord's name in vain. Now, these actually serve a very important purpose. And again, I want to trim the fat on this conversation so we can have all clear thoughts on this. 
Now, this first commandment, and it starts in Exodus 20, verse 2, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Again, what we see happening here is God saying, I'm the Lord your God, don't put gods before, you, before me, but also we see a very specific thing put in there. He brought them out of slavery in Egypt into a better place. God's purpose is taking people out of chaos towards something better. Even if we go back to the beginning, we can see God giving creation, order to creation. And again, this happens. There's sort of this nihilistic void where there's these chaotic waters in the beginning of, of Genesis. He brings order to that. Even as we look at Christ going to the cross, he does this so that people can be free of sin. There's a transformation that makes people's lives better. It brings order to it. And it's not just order itself. It's actually a mechanism of moving people to order. Again, it's reproducible across time. It's not just that God says, I took you to the promised land one time. It's that I am the mechanism of taking you out of places like Egypt. It's so fascinating that it frames Exodus 20 in this out of Egypt mentality. In other words, God's role is to take people out of chaos. He is able to do this infallibly. Now, one of the problems we have is that when people do place other things before God, they take this role of the transcendent and they place it on things like government is, well, the government is not actually capable of taking people out of chaos. In fact, if we look throughout human history, governments are much more likely to take people to some place of chaos than they are to be removing people from it. We here in the West, we've been blessed, and we're quite an anomaly in the course of human history that we've been able to live in this level of luxury and peace in the way that we have as individuals. But again, this is something which is unique. And even in our own culture, we can see that corruption comes into government in many ways, in many forms. Government is not free of corruption, therefore we should not make it God. We should not take things which are not free of corruption and make them out to be God. Anthony? Well, I mean, even just like from a pure logical standpoint, if you take out the connotations of the words, you do not want to attribute more to something than what it is. You know, that's just inaccurate mm -hmm. on your part, first of all, definitionally. And then secondly, you know, if you ever try to use whatever it is, Let's say you attribute a truck to be more powerful than what it really is without, you know, making it divine. And then you try and go and use that truck for your for what you suspect its power to be. Obviously, that's going to fail. And that's not going to that's probably not going to make you um, behave very well, I guess, to put that lightly, you know, but you're not going to react to that well. That's going to be a big letdown. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's just that's just an unwise thing to do logically. You can look at yeah. that and say, that's not something that human beings want to do. We don't want to look at things and overvalue them. Yeah, and that's basically what this first commandment is saying is God is that which is transcendent. Do not overvalue things which are not transcendent and make them out to be. Do not put too much power in government or even celebrities. Again, a lot of times we see people being upset at celebrities because they didn't turn out to be the moral people we expected them to be. Though, again, there were a lot of us who did not expect this to start with. But anyways, moving on to the second commandment. You shall not have a carved image. Again, we a lot of times see this as the graven image. And again, this says, or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or the earth beneath. Basically, what this is saying is we do not take the, the elements of, of reality and we build God out of them. Instead of looking to God and extracting out of God the, the admirable traits that we ourselves should hope to live by. 
Again, there's a big difference between looking to God as the transcendent thing and pulling from God and admiring and, and aspiring to be like him than it is for us to say, well, we're going to build a God out of something in our world around us. A lot of times we see this happening. We've seen a lot of times, in, especially here in the West, people have wanted to throw out the Christian moral architecture. They wanted to throw out things like the sanctity of marriage. And, and what we've seen happen as a result of that is when, when I'm talking about the sanctity of marriage in specific, they've wanted to have this idea that people can just live promiscuously and just pursue whatever pleasure you want and it's going to work out great. Well, now we're at a place where we're finding out all of these celebrities. They've been really corrupt. There's been a lot of sex scandals which have gone on. And again, one of the things that people didn't realize is that the reason that we, we put something enshrined in marriage is that it's actually it's very healthy. It's healthy for society as a whole. It's healthy for the kids that are born. Um, it's much better for children to be born in, in wedlock. Generally, we see when children actually have both parents involved in their life, they, they turn out much better. Again, it's very important for kids to have a mom and a dad. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important for these things to happen. But back to this whole idea of carved image, we're not to build God out of what we want, but instead we're going to look to God and let him come upon us. And moving on to this third commandment we find here, this is the idea that we should not take the Lord's name in vain. And of course, reading out of Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So many times we assume this to, to be referring to blasphemy, something like using the God's name casually, using some sort of guttural sound, a curse or swear. And while those things may very well have their issues, I think one of the aspects that we may oversee or forget about this is that not taking the Lord's name in vain means we don't take our own will, our own motive, and brand it as God. It's not just misusing God's name, but it's misbranding God's name. To say, well, this is something I want, so I'm going to brand it as God that I can manipulate people. Take, for instance, when politicians will say something like the New York governor said a few, few days ago when he said, when I get to the pearly gates, they're going to ask me if I did enough to be progressive. This is taking the Lord's name in vain. It's taking our motive and attributing that to the will of God. Also, we even see this happen within the church. People may come around and say, um, televangelists were, were stereotypes as this saying, you know, if, if you love God, send us money. You may find even in a local setting, people say, well, if you really love God, you've got to give to this cause. You may even find people on the side of the street saying something to the effect of, God bless you now, now give me something. They invoke the name of God so that they can sell their own motive, their own will, their own desire. We're not to do this. It is setting ourselves up for failure. Well, wrapping all this together, all three of these commandments, these early commandments, they really serve a very practical function in our world. And of course, they're very important for our relationship with God. God has called us to a, a holiness, which is greater than many of the, the afflictions found in our world. They are taking us back to a, a pure state of being where we can be made clean and we can be made whole. And again, the holiness of God is not just being 100% without flaw, but it's being able to live and function as God has called us to. These commandments, which have been given down to us, they are so important. It's so important that we hold them dear to our lives. And we're going to end it there. If you've enjoyed this program, please subscribe to our channel. You can find us on YouTube at Kingdom of the Logos. And I know that's a bit of a, a weird word there at the end, Logos, Greek for word. And you can find us on Facebook at Kingdom of the Logos as well. You can find me on Twitter at J. Dylan Proctor.